Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Welcome back to another episode of Brewing with Bim. As always, I'm Joe Whitney. With me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave? Hey, Joe. How's it going? It's a, it's a beautiful day out here in the Pacific Northwest. How's it looking over there on the East Coast? Oh, man. You can move your butt over here and find out. Um, <laughs> yeah, what? A few weeks left until that happens. It was beautiful today, man. It was damn near 80. It was great. Week and a half. I'm moving out next weekend. Woo-woo. All right, man. Looking forward to it. Um, you know, before we dive deep, we got to do the, the, you know, we've missed this. Like it's been a few weeks. We got a lot going on in our personal lives, uh, work lives, all that sort of stuff. So got to kick this off right, man. What are you drinking? Oh man. You know, it's been a while. Um, and today I, I kind of reached back in my cabinet a little bit to, uh, find one of my personal favorites just because I don't, it's not one of my daily drinkers just because I really like it. And of course that is the whistle pig piggyback. <laughs> I got a bottle of this, of course, that it's at age six years. Ah, oh, this stuff is so good. And I just, you know, I'll put it towards the back of my cabinet and every once in a while I look up at it and I'm like, yes, it's, it's a time for some whistle pig. We, 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 uh, we had this bonding moment over whistle pig uh, years back it truly is one of the better whiskeys. It changes your mind about all. Like if you're not a whiskey snob and you just drink, you know, whiskey. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I drink, you know, uh, Bullet Rye and all kinds of whiskeys. But when you taste Whistle Pig, it, you can taste that it's, you know, we're not being promoted for this. This is a true experience. Yes, it, it just is. tastes better. It you does. taste it. Yeah, it's great, man. Yeah, dude. I mean, honestly. Um... I ended up going to the local liquor store and they kind of surprised me. And I, I started learning more about Whistle Pig at that point as well, because um, apparently it's pretty hard to keep in. But um, I found really. Yeah, actually, it's hard to keep in there. And I found another liquor store over in Gresham, which actually leads me into another kind of story here. I'll go into here in a second. But um, I, I found the bottle there. And that's when I, I learned that, uh, you know, I knew Whistle Pig had the $100 bottle, and I, of course, I found the $60 bottle. Now, what I did not know is, you know, of course, there's a six year, there's a 10 year, but there's also a Boss Hog edition. And oh, that bottle is. I, I think, this is new to me. Oh, dude. I think uh, that bottle is a little over $500. And, you know, I looked into their I looked into it and, and on their website, you know, they're based out of Vermont, I think it is. And uh, man, that is definitely one of those uh, those dream visits I'm going to make one of these days. I'm going to try that boss hog. But uh, <laughs> I don't think that's going to be anytime soon with five hundred dollars a bottle. But uh, yeah, man, that it, well, it's it's awesome stuff. I love it. Awesome stuff. You know but, what? Uh, 30, 40 years when we finally retire or something like that, man, I'll, we can pop a bottle together. How about that? There you go. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. That sounds after, like a plan. After, after the kids are out of the house, you know, your, your mortgage is paid off, all that stuff. Man, you know, we'll start 500 bucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> man, it, it's crazy, though. Um, I was saying when I went to the Gresham Liquor Store uh, to find Whistle Pig, I noticed they had a entire – like they had a bunch of cases. It was this whole display set up for a bullet, and I'm like, oh, that's that's pretty neat. And then I, I picked up a bottle, and it had their name on the front of the bottle and what barrel – apparently stores – I didn't know this, but again, I'm learning. Liquor stores can buy specific barrels of whiskey and have their own barrels made and everything like that labeled for them and sent to their store. That's pretty awesome, man. That's a that's a that's a kick butt marketing thing that you know I would have never thought of. That's awesome. I would right? love to have my own brand. You know, come come check out Joey's liquor store of <laughs> yeah. you know, your I favorite mean, whiskey. 
man, it's just I thought that was so cool. Like and, and kind of at that point, it, it made me feel like I wanted one, you know, because I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's customized. You know, it's from its own barrel. I mean, I know that uh, they can all have little flavor note differences. They're mostly the same, you'd say. But I'm like, man, I think that's cool. They can have their own barrel. They do what they want with it and then they get it all bottled. And that's pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but uh, well, what are you drinking, dude? I'm not doing anything too fancy, you know. I just I missed you so much that I'm drinking this double mountain hop whiskey that you gave me. <laughs> you know, nothing too fancy, but uh, fancy. drinking that. I, I found that um, because it's so the the hop notes in it are so strong. Uh, and we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, citrus and all that stuff actually helps it. You know what really helps it? A thimble of water. That's it. Just a little cap full of water dumped in there, man. It smooths out the whole thing. The hops don't, you know, they're a little bit muted in the background, but it's still, you know, herbaceous and delicious. Uh, it's got the citrus notes from the, from the hops itself. It, it's the way to go. I just put it over ice with a little thimble, you know, a little cap full of water. And uh, that's it, man. Living the dream. Yeah. Yep, yep. Honestly, that's, uh, that was my favorite way to drink it as well. I, I just, well, with my thing, I wouldn't put any water in it first. I just give it a little bit of time for the ice to melt. And at that point, it's like perfect, man. It was awesome for drinking, especially when it's hot outside. When it's, it doesn't matter. It's, it almost tastes like a hopped up beer, but it's whiskey. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's it's just it was good. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. I'm you glad gotta, you're enjoying it. Yeah. Thank, thank you, man. Thank you. I'm enjoying a lot of things that you gave me. So uh, at the same time, you got uh, got me some some uh, cigars. Uh, for those of you guys that um, are tuning in or just don't recall. I had a child back in December. Dave sent me a goodie pack um, in it with, you know, some amazing stogies. Um, uh, you know, I had to go get my COVID shot, my second COVID shot today. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't have a, a tail or, or, you know, a third arm or anything, but I do feel <laughs> more susceptible to mind control. Um, so, so bear with me. No, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, but, you know, it was an hour and a half away each way out of, you know, and I was, yeah, it was finally in my car, which you know, when I was a road warrior, you know, back in the day, just driving all over the dang country um, by myself, I, you know, had my podcast playing um, and I'd have, you know, cigars in my car. That was my thing. That's what I did. Um, and and today was the, the first time I actually got to partake of that. I had in, in a year, pretty much. I had some stogies in my car. I uh, put some Joe Rogan on on Spotify and you know, and uh, I, I cheaped away. So that I think it was the um, Robusto from um, the Rough Riders. Mm-hmm. Rough Riders. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one, man. Good, good, uh, good choice there. Yeah, man. It's a it's actually a local cigar um, here in Mount Hood. I'm not sure exactly where it's made out of, but um, the the store I go to up here actually told me that they're local cigars and they're they're so nice, dude. I mean, honestly, the way that they smoke, like I had the Indian head, the Robusto, um, and I think there's a Negra as well. And they're just really good tasting cigars. And they're not they're not really I mean, of course, they have a decent price point. but They're not really expensive. You know what I mean? They're a good, good hit and good tasting cigar. It um, it surprised me because um, I wasn't expecting a sweet, but mm-hmm. it was definitely a sweet, but not. Not like a you know overpowering swishy, yeah, not yeah like, nasty. nothing like that yeah no, yeah. no chemically flavor just it had some sweet notes to it um and and dude yeah it's great man I appreciate it yeah man this is gonna turn into a, an episode all about whiskey and cigars but I tell, hey, man, I tell this, you know what it's been a few weeks and let's tell everybody what we've been up to before we before we get into it uh so as Dave said he's he's moving um you know you've got this massive move I, I did this move about two years ago. Uh, and I remember how chaotic it was. Uh, but here you are. You're doing it with four kids, and yep. you are going from uh, – I'll let you tell it, man. Tell everybody what you're doing and why oh, you're okay. going. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, we, found a, uh, we found a house in, in Indiana, um, so it's in Peru. We found a place with 40 wooded acres on the river, a nice A-frame home. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't, it's been crazy, dude. It's been – like every everything's been flying by really fast. That's my thing. I've been like, man, I hope everything's going to be ready. You know, we're trying to align the closing of this house to the closing of the next house. 
It's been a it's been an interesting journey, but I tell you what, dude, I'm I am really excited for this move. Of course, for a couple of different reasons. Um, one, you know, uh, I'm going to be taking my kids with me across country, which is cool because uh, I want to stop by places like Mount Rushmore, you know, um, the Badlands. I want to see, uh, well, I want to see a lot of different things. And honestly, I was kind of planning on stopping out at. Uh, at, at the Wisconsin Dells on the way back through and just staying like the night there, maybe two nights there. So the kids can, you know, we can blow off a little bit of steam, hang out in like a, uh, I don't know. I don't know if during COVID times, but you know, indoor water park or just whatever we can do to unwind a little bit there. And then, uh, then finish the, the leg over to Indiana. Oh, that sounds awesome, man. I'm, I'm jealous, especially about Mount Rushmore. How, like I think about it, I'm like, how often are you even close to, south dakota to be able to check that out um that is that's phenomenal man uh, real quick real quick question how where is mountain rushmore in south dakota is it close to sturgis because i feel like you know as a cycle you know, cyclist i'd uh, I definitely like to head up there and maybe it'd be a two birds one stone trip if i if they're close enough that's a very good question it is hmm Yes, I could agree with Keystone, it. South Dakota. Oh, no, you're all good. I just did. It's Keystone, South Dakota. It's closer to, looks like Rapid City. Man, no, I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's pretty close. Uh, so. Oh, Sturgis. Yeah, 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 I see it now. Yeah, there it is. It's probably it's about an hour, about... two hours away from it, maybe. Man, I'm all about that. I'd make that happen. That's cool, dude. Yeah, heck yeah. Well, this piece of property that you mentioned, man, it's that's I'm so jealous. We're looking at houses now like, all right, let's sell our house and get some land like, <laughs> uh, you know, like, let, let's 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 do what David does. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, man, I got really lucky with this property. I'm excited about it, you know, and the opportunities that are kind of there. Um, just being able to, to get away for a little while, even in my backyard, that's going to be amazing. Although I, I'll try to not be, I can't remember what that dude's name is. Uh, he got lost in his own backyard. He's a country singer. <laughs> I can't remember his name. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna try to not do that. Oh man. Ah, oh, dude. I, hey man. Uh, I think you've got enough acres to get lost. Uh, but just, just you know, you could follow the river into your neighbor's yard, or if you see the river, turn back and dude. go the opposite direction, take yeah. it to your house. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, beautiful thing about that is, you know. It, one of my reasons for coming out here from Indiana in the first place was because all the cornfields. But beautiful thing about Indiana is if you get lost, man, depending on the time of year, you know, you could you could see almost everything. And now if the corn's too high at that point, you could be walking for a while, but eventually you'll find a road or a house. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, that's kept you occupied and and it's going to keep you even more occupied here in the next coming weeks. Uh, so we'll try and uh, get a few more recordings in before then or, or, or something. Just Definitely, kinda... dude. And, you know, I've been really excited um, lately for the direction that I've been going in, even with with work, you know, just in terms of um, with learning, you know, and seeing how uh, and this is actually going to be in our topic today, but how important BIM is in the handover process and how. Uh, kind of collaboration and enabling collaboration throughout the entire process, even from, you know, conception design into construction and, and literal handover uh, to the owner and everything like that. It, it's just, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm loving to see, you know, this process that, uh, you know, build is, is kind of enabling and other processes of, of BIM 360 and excited to see how, um, Everything kind of, you know, comes together at this point. But again, you know, getting it back into what we're going to talk about today, we, we got to talk about some fissure points or some some uh, kind of gaps that we're seeing. I mean, I, we talk about that stuff all the time. I'm going to take a drink for it because bridging the gaps is kind of what we do, <laughs> right? A hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Yeah, dude. We're seeing, I mean, you, you, you know, we were talking about this little pre-episode, just a lot of what we're seeing in terms of handover. I mean, it, it really does. Um, affect a project and it affects our industry. And you know what? What's funny is um, we've also talked about this, but it's standard. You know what I mean? A, a lot of people that I talk to, they say, "Yeah, that's how it works." And we'll get this. Uh, we'll get this awesome. We'll get this design model, and we can't use a lot of the stuff in this uh, design model. 
<laughs> so this, this is the, the the age old problem, right? Yeah, you know, you can't everybody, use a lot of that stuff, and it, we have to redesign it at that point. It's like, well, you're doing rework. So this gets back to like the the things that we've talked about in the past with like. You need to have constructability in mind when you're doing your design. You know, contracts have to come into play. You need to have an IT, IPD type thing or concurrent engineering. Something needs to happen to where the, the people downstream um, have more say in the upstream. Not not telling you yes. how to design stuff, but telling you how they can build it. I mean, that's the number one thing. But yep. too, too, you know, too often they come later in the, in the process after the design's done. So then, you know, it, it's, a, it's a weird process. It all depends on contract types, project types, all that sort of stuff. The people involved, you know, is it all under one roof? Are these separate companies with no working history? Um, there, there's some subtleties, but um, I'm glad that you introduced the topic this way. Um, you know, this is at the crux, a big part of what's wrong in construction. So like uh, I had this big idea for, uh, uh, a topic today and it was going to be talking about fixing you know the design process and construction and how to make this you know into play and then you had this great idea for uh bin tools and you know uh you know putting these arrows in your quiver and talking through uh the bin process and as we were talking it kind of just melded together and it became a well actually these are two of the same thing i mean it's all connected but the funny thing is today no less i had a customer who listens to the podcast, uh, reach out to me about an issue. And he, one, razzed us and said, dude, you guys got to put out some content, man. It's been a while. <laughs> you know, pe- people need to listen to you guys. Come on. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so here we are. We're, we're checking that box. We're recording. Um, we had this plan. But then he hit me with the other thing. His, his thing was, look, we get uh, either crap for design files or we get no design files. It's all PDFs, uh, plan sets, all that sort of stuff. And we have to recreate our drawings, uh, create 3D models based off of what's given to us. And these aren't mom and pop designers and engineers giving these guys models or giving these guys the files. These are, you know, top in the, in the region uh, engineering design firms uh, providing this. And they're just, the handover process is, is just poor. It's poorly de- defined. And the files that they do get, uh, when they are in uh, um, a CAD format, whether it's Revit, Civil, AutoCAD, uh, aren't really usable. If they're in CAD or whatever, they're exploded. Uh, if they're in Revit, you're, you're missing some of the, the information there. Um, or there's so many things that have been, uh, and we talk about this all the time, so many things that have just been um, patched up, you know, f- false dimensions and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it usable? No. Are they better recreating themselves? Yes, in this instance. But let's talk about why. Let's have that conversation about what can we do better to to hand this over to, again, give you those quivers so we can get back to BIM, SIM. And, you know, because this is a big stopgap. This is a big roadblock in this process. It is. I definitely agree, man. And I, I, you know, it's, as you said, it has been a big problem in our industry, but it, it, from what I've seen too, it's almost become standard. You know, it's I, I and we work with some big firms, and you talk to these companies, and they're like, yeah, no, that's that's how we do it. That's the way that we've always done it. That's what they hand over, and you get what you get, and you got to kind of start from new. And it's like, well, okay, the mindset well, I think that we should take from that initially is use what you have, right? So let's figure out how we can use what we have, what we're getting and not literally recreate the wheel in that sense you know what i mean but but kind of in revit terms let, let's see what i can copy monitor over what can i bring in what can i bind um what can i utilize in, through a link or something so i don't have to completely go through and remodel this what can i show through a point cloud or inserting you know the pdf but again dude yeah and a lot of people you know the the pushback that i that i've heard is liability, right? Yep. You don't want to give some model. And I'm like, well, I understand that, but when does I, I, I get the liability, but liability is outweighing the overall, let's say, but, project timeline and efficiency. But are you liable because because are, are, so let's let's uh, put the scenarios in context here. You're and and uh, listeners feel free to jump on our butts and and catch us if you know if we're wrong <laughs> here. If, you, if there's something we're missing, we want to be educated in the process so that we yes. can share that education knowledge with others. And if you want to come in and talk about this process, feel free to do it. 
um, we'll, we'll give you the the platform. Um, but but the liability issue that I'm thinking of, okay, there's there's two ways this could go. Either us as the designer, engineer, whatever, aren't providing, you know, let's just use uh, civil for instance. We're not providing the files to the, um, the dirt contractors uh, because uh, we don't want to be liable. They didn't pay us for this survey data that's in here. Um, we don't want to be liable for things being incorrect, incorrect places, or even Revit, Revit at the same same standpoint. If you're uh, an engineer, you don't want to be liable um, as an architect for you know where things are being placed because that design changes so often. You will start at the beginning, but all the engineers and everybody that comes after you, um, you know, there's there's some you know if they move something, they make a change, they put something there that forces somebody else to put something somewhere else. But really. You know, is that the way it should have been? Uh, is this going to be off later? Is there going to, you know, when we go through constructability, are, is that going to be caught? Is that going to be my fault because I provided the model? Maybe I was off by three inches. Or the other side of that, is it because I fudged a dimension? I knew I fudged some dimension, and I knew I had to get something out of the door for design intent purposes. And my job as a as a as a architect and designer is to, you know, provide um, design intent. Provide will provide design intent, but to communicate the owners. Um, a perspective for the owner so you know to get them interested in the building to, to you know sell them on it they they buy off on it and then I got to provide this vision now that we've done this we're the artists right we've we've created this vision now we're going to hand this off to those that are going to actually build this um, I shouldn't you know should I be liable for that um, you know this is just a design you know you guys figure out how, how to put the you guys together. know how to construct it yes yeah so there, I mean, that's the, there's some subtleties with liabilities and responsibilities, and I think this, you know, concurrent engineering and, and IPD, these 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 uh, you know buzzwords, they're contracts and, and and different ways of working that are forcing everybody together earlier so that we can have constructability. We can say, hey, look, actually that flooring that you're putting there, you're fudging the the dimension, like you're calling out, you're specifying a floor type. Um, but that floor that you put in there is actually false dimensions and it's actually going to be a two inch gap or what, you know, yeah, some, you're some showing crazy. the wrong thickness on here because you're forgetting that we have to put down this layer underneath it. And this, you know, somebody that actually knows how it's built can go through and review the model to help, you know, communicate. But, but then on the other flip side of that, I mean, let's, let's play devil's advocate. That's uh, time so and they have to put somebody it, it to dedicate so it. much time and yep. you have to have a specialist for every mm -hmm. trade that comes after. I got to have a flooring specialist. I got to have a, I mean, maybe you don't have a specialist. Maybe it's a generalist and maybe, maybe somebody at the GC um, can, can uh, rope this all in for you. I don't know. Um, I just think that it, it gets muddy about as muddy as Autodesk software is ever going to get um, <laughs> when you talk about our contract types. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely understand that as well. Um, I don't know, man. It's just it's a it's a hard one because, I mean, you know, you I, I understand all of those subtleties in that sense. Like, yes, you don't want to make because you're not the expert in this area. But let's think about this. Right. So there's one thing out there that can solve a lot of this, and it is a BIM process. Right. It's called collaboration in, in the sense of like BIM 360 or the Autodesk construction sure. cloud. If you're hosting model data there, right? In this sense, you can actually utilize a, like let's say a publishing feature to push information to the cloud and enable your different consultants to consume or even just give them permissions to access the data, right? Storing it in specific folders, ripping it apart into, you know, PDFs, the handover process itself needs to needs to kind of change and i think that you know as you were kind of talking about pe with people getting involved earlier um i i mean i understand the whole liability thing but at the same time i'm thinking uh, why can't we why can't we utilize the data that is there in terms of I, a a linked model there's there's nothing that anybody can change with permissions and things like that if you give them a linked model it's it's a it's a block essentially i think that that solves the like if we and, and we specifically put in some kind of verbiage in a contract that solves a liability issue i think sharing the data um makes it uh like we're we're we're, we're 
we're getting to the point where we should be getting mm-hmm. uh, getting to. But then to take it a step further, um, maybe get those those uh, the you know a maybe you have a construction consultant constructability consult in your architecture firm maybe that's where it's at or the engineering firm or whatever it is that tells you this system cannot be designed like this uh you, you can design it like this to meet your load calculations but um it's it's actually not constructible and here's why and they'll tell you you know hey look um there's actually uh be- because of this cross member here there's actually a bracket that's not actually modeled but it actually has to, like there's you know there's subtleties you know and, dude what's so funny while you're talking here all I'm thinking about is another BIM process, and that's analysis, another BIM tool. That's analysis, go, right? When we start thinking about analysis and, and AI or, you know, the Dynamo that's, scripts. That's going to help us, AI. Dude, it really is. I mean, in all reality, when we can start inputting parameters such as codes and things like that, constructability requirements, and like if you can analyze, like especially with what you're saying with structural loads, I know for a fact I can already do that within, um, you know, robot. But at the same time, you know, it's going to tell me this doesn't meet it. And I can start adjusting and looking at my structural connection from that point. But who's doing the analysis? You know yeah, what I mean? I think people are always going to get away with fudging data. But that goes of back course. to the garbage in, garbage out. type. Exactly. But I think that's where. That's where the BIM collaborative workflow kind of forces that out, right? Because the more you model in, the less that you can actually fudge in all reality. Well, yeah, true, true. Um, uh, Here's the, the, I guess, kind of adding to that point, though. We're talking about AI, though. You know, there's got to be a predictive analytic, whatever we're going to go with here. Predictive, um, generative design, whatever you're calling it. Yep. Yeah, there there has to be parameters that we can associate where, hey, if you're modeling um, a duct, you need to have X amount of clearance. And here's why, you know, and and even though it's not built into your Revit family, when there's an, an analyzer that gets run, it actually catches all these things as part of it, as part of your coordination process, maybe or even before. Yeah, I mean, why do we have to wait till coordination? Why do we have to wait through wait till coordination? to do uh, simple uh, class checkers and stuff like that. Like this, this stuff's baked into Revit, make it work. And now it's actually baked into the design process. If we're doing Revit collaboration, you have the, um, the capability to do um, collaborate, uh, coordination on cloud-based models in your design yeah. models. Yeah, dude, honestly. So it's funny, I really wanted to bring that up as well. Uh, I mean, you know, we get talking, um, and you kind of said it at the beginning of the episode, BIM is like a toolbox, right? Or um, you think of it like a, a quiver of arrows and it's full of all of these tools or these arrows, you know, that we can utilize in one way or another. And coordination and clash detection, I mean, model coordination is huge, right? We know that. Now, one interesting thing that I've seen is uh, typically uh, it's a standard not to have too much model coordination in the actual design development you know, kind of into the construction documentation phase. It's really when the handover kind of takes place and the, and the construction kind of focused, uh, you know, design groups at that point take over and they do a lot of coordination. And I talked to a, uh, it's funny, I talked to an architect minded person and I talked to a construction minded person to get their kind of perspective on what they thought in terms of adding model coordination and why we couldn't you know, why that's not awesome to implement model coordination in a, uh, you know, in a design kind of phase. And what I found was the architect was was kind of curious. Now, if they're if, if they're involved in construction, I had one that was involved in construction. They were they're very interested in it to help with constructability downstream because they're directly involved in that process. But with the architect that I know that was not involved, he's like, why, why would I do coordination? That's an extra step of something that I need to do that I'm not contractually obligated to do. And I yeah. said, well, I, I get I get that. And I get the that, you know, that's not my lane kind of thing. But at the same time, if you're coordinating earlier in your drawing or earlier in your design process, that in my mind helps you make design better design decisions sooner. I mean, literally, if you're connecting everyone's stuff in, if you're live linking or even if you're publishing and consuming, if you go to place like, let's say, an, a switch, you know, and a lot of times an architect is going to place a placeholder and, you know, they're expecting the electrical contractor to place the switches and things like that. 
But if they have that data already in the model, one, that's time that they don't have to spend, you know, trying to go back through and update that. But two, um, if they do need to symbolize it, they can. Everybody can see, you know, as the mechanical you know, person, whoever's drawing the placeholders, because, man, I tell you, as an architect, you know, I've, I've actually designed um, like HVAC kind of systems, heating and cooling systems for buildings. But and at the same time, I knew that what I'm designing is a placeholder. This is not going to be what's actually constructed which is kind of interesting in that minds, you know, that, that kind of thought process, because it's like, wait, it is going to be constructed. You're just having somebody do your work that you're doing right now over again, because yeah. you're not really sure how to do this. Okay, fine. Why can't we utilize that data of that person? Like I get, you know, a PDF so, is great, but man, no. So it almost seems like the design process should be uh, like in, in, in a um, you know idyllic world, the design process in in has not just an architect architecture firm, but has maybe uh, a GC um, and uh, you know maybe an MEP kind of telling them what's possible. Not engineers because the engineers still have to come through and tell them yep. that you know you know this is this needs to be set in, but it gets us one step further to, uh, uh, you know, reducing rework and getting everybody on the same page and increasing that handover process because that exactly. handover process is, is where we're lacking. I think, I think we could talk about, you know, sharing 3d models all day long, but when you start stripping out data, because, you know, it, a, it's not uh, it's not a requirement or B you're just a little leery about, you know, what you're sending out, um, you know, it could have negative implications. I will say that. So uh, there always has to be an asterisk, um, you know, uh, mentioned when sharing this type of information. But say, hey, look, I went ahead and I placed this stuff here. I don't know if this actually goes here, but I, I did this just like this, you know. And then maybe it becomes a learning process. Maybe it becomes a, an educational thing where it's like, actually, you did that correctly, or no, you should probably do this here. And then maybe next time you you place it there, and you know, I don't know, man. We're we're so like. You and I are so focused on like BIM and SIM and all that stuff as uh, overarching concepts. And we get in the weeds and we'll talk about, well, actually, if you're in Revit, you can do this and this and this. Or Simple 3, you can do this, this and this. But at the end of the day, we're not producing work anymore. Uh, we just help people get there. So, you know, maybe this is something where we get an architect, an engineer, and, uh, you know, some GC or subcontract or something. A panel involved. conversation. Yeah, That'd on a panel cool. and talk about fixing construction for real because – um, you know, I think if we get uh, the you know trades all in one, we're going to hear the same thing. It's going to be an echo chamber. If we get GCs all in one, again, echo chamber. Designers all in one, it's going to be echo chamber. But it's like, hey, let's talk about you know um, the process, and 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 maybe that's that's food for a, a future topic. Yeah, yeah, I and like I, that, dude. And and quick note here, uh, so you and I, uh, we we launched this raffle, um, and we got you know quite a few uh, participants, you know chimed in we haven't forgot about you uh we're going to host the raffle um uh, what do you think next week or the week after you let me know dave um two weeks gonna, after that yeah um, i'm gonna say the week after just because uh next week i'm gonna well actually next week is fine because next weekend i'm moving next week would be the best thing because uh if i do it the week after i might be in the process and there might be no bueno so uh next week sounds like a plan yeah it'll take 10 minutes you know yeah jump dude. on a thing we'll record it we'll push it out we'll uh, put the names and i've got a spinner uh digital spinner we just put the names in and it'll it'll do it's a randomizer it'll select um somebody at will and uh we'll, we'll get those um uh, bullets uh for the whiskey out to some folks awesome awesome i'm excited for that too so somebody can try it give us your feedback let us know what you think I honestly, it's it's a very, very cool product. Like I said, I, I had a couple of my friends come over and they tried that uh, Redneck Reserve that I had after with, with my bullet sitting in it. And they were, man, it's so smooth it, and it's sweet. It's it, it really, it is, it is funny how it helps to really finish out and smooth out some of that burn that you might get from the cheaper whiskeys. And the color change, like it's the caramel kind of taste, the oaky kind of smokiness from that char of the oak. It's 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 good. I like it. Uh, yeah, man, I'm sold. I don't think I, you know, I don't think I'll be drinking any mid-grade whiskeys without it from now on. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's right. pretty, 
It's pretty good. Um, I do have an unopened. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I have a uh, bottle on my counter of like a, a lower end whiskey where I've had a bullet sitting in. I haven't drank it uh, uh, at all. It's just been sitting in there. I just opened it, put the bullet in there, put the cap on. It's been sitting there and it's probably been in there, I don't know, a good month, month plus. Uh, whenever we got these bullets, uh, that was the one of the first ones I put it in. So I'm I'm looking forward to tasting that one and seeing how that one comes out because it was a lower end whiskey. Yeah, 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 dude. It's it, it's been awesome to see them. I ended up going back on their site and uh, I bought their three pack of the the patriotic American like we the people ones. So uh, I wanted because it was a sample pack for maple, um, cherry and oak. So I really wanted to try the the cherry and the maple. Um, and uh, of course, I'm well. No, it might have been vanilla. Some, maybe something like that. I can't remember. So, so um, I know we, we're you and I. We could rant about this mm-hmm. and um, you know Days. theorize on how to fix this and never get anywhere. We're, we're, in fact, we're probably going to do this after we get off the call. It's just what we do. But uh, I do want to hit you with a few questions here. All right. So knowing that there's a liability issue, or you know potential liability issue, knowing that. Um, some things are fudged, uh, and you know, there's not just liability, but there's a responsibility issue. It's, it's not our responsibility. Um, it actually would take, take us, you know, three times longer to actually take this in, and, uh, and, and, you know, and we're not experts in this. Therefore, this is for the engineer, the, the trades to come later and actually solve. And that's just the process. If we can't fix that process, you know, A, would you just say, hey, let's just share this model with the caveat as we do now, or B, would you um, say, hey, look, you know, I, you know, I actually know the answer to this. I don't even know why I'm asking it, but A, would you share the models, or B, would you just say, keep doing what you're doing, and um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it, it takes like some review processes, and maybe you can figure some stuff out on your end in the long term, but just keep doing what you're doing. Like, where, where are you following on this this spectrum of if it's working, don't fix it, or just share the data and we'll figure it out later on. Well, I'm, I guess I'm a little in between, um, maybe going with option C here, but uh, <laughs> I don't know, dude. I mean, I, I feel like, of course, you don't want to break anything that's not broken, but at the same time, um, in terms of growth and progression, we always want to grow and 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 get better and and do our projects, continue improving our projects and our deliverables, right? We want to keep winning jobs. We want to build the relationships with the people that we have around us. And wh- how do you do that? You perform so, better than those around you. If you help out in the process more than maybe you need to a little bit, uh, whether it's coordination, you're delivering a contractor a fully coordinated model saying that, okay, everything is good here for the placeholders that we have. We know that you can go ahead and lay out everything from this and it's good to go. If you can deliver something like that to someone and, and honestly say that, I'm, I'm going to say nine times out of 10, you're getting the job and they're going to look for you in future projects, right? Because everybody is really looking to better what they do. Everybody is looking for that you know, that extra step or that help. You know what I mean? Nobody is above but, that. I mean, but but the, here's the issue, though. Who hires the architect? Who hires the design, the design team? Uh, the it's, owner. Not the pe- it's not the people that come after them. So no. the owner has to know that value that you're saving them X amount. Like, it has to be part of the, the, the pitch. You're and I right. Feel like, I feel this like is kind of going back to uh, going back to the episode with Johan and educating the owners. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that it's also it's a change of mindset too for you know GCs, architects, everybody, even the owner themselves, thinking about when I'm starting this project. I know typically they go to an architect. That's when it all starts conceptualizing and everything like that. But at that point, why not get a general contractor involved? Why not say this is what we want to hope to do? You know, and a lot of times you'll find that owners will ask architects or GCs or anybody that they've worked with previously, who do you prefer to work with? Who were your smooth projects with? You know, what size of project have you done like this before? And again, who have you worked with? And a lot of times those GCs or those architects will know, they will tell, I have these, these, you know, relationships with these people. And typically they're people that they have a very good relation, like working relationship with, right? Their deliverables are good. They know they can count on these people. That's why they're doing it. So it's it's like a mix of like 
um, the ideal thing is a full service AEC firm that has all these people in house. Like you and I chatted with a, an architecture engineering. The client, ideal like, condition is a is a but, design build. I think in all reality. Yeah. But, exactly, exactly. But, but, but so like a firm that has multiple disciplines in house, one hand always knows what the other hand's doing if they're cl- truly collaborating. Like we asked that one firm, we're like, yeah, you guys publish consumer. Like, why would we do that? We just live link everything. Yeah, just makes sense. Like, they always see what we're doing. We always see what they're doing. And yeah, there's a lot of changes, but you know what? That's just part of the process. Um, and that makes sense. Like so, like you know, like that that all insert you know all encompassing firm is is ideal well, that's, that's instant uh, coordination maybe, you think about it that's collaboration yeah. and coordination if you're all live linking at the same time and working off of that model i mean at that point you are coordinating you're not going yeah. to place something because if you do revit's going to give you an error stating there's something there you know it, it's nice to have that level of data and i'd like to see that you know across the board and even being able to to a deliverable might be like a actual digitized project with all of this design data fully coordinated inside of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and you but, think I about mean, it. These are perfect conditions, right? We we have yeah, to figure we talk out about a, a process. Conditions. Yeah, that's right. We're again, we're idealists. We have right. to um, figure out a process that works for all aspects of construction so that we can enable people. And and before I hit you with my next question, uh, I you know, there's really two mindsets here I think of when I'm working with firms, especially in the handover process, you know, hey, you know, we want to improve our handover, so we're going to move to 3D, we're going to, we got Revit, we've got Civil 3D, we've got, you know, whatever they're using, they're doing all in 3D and they're sharing that data with everybody. You know, there's some reserve about sharing downstream and they want to be involved in the review process um, and the coordination process in general because, you know, they, they're getting paid during this process as well. Um, so, you know, there's those guys and then there's the people that, um, you know, they're, they could be the larger firms. Um, uh, maybe they don't have a lot to prove or maybe they just have done things for a certain way. So they'll share a file and maybe it is a liability thing where they're just not holding it. Or, um, and this gets me to my next question, or maybe they're not actually doing stuff in 3D. Uh, I know a lot of firms that are just using 2D. Um to show things and then they'll they'll, they'll yeah. estimate dimensions and it, it well i feel like that's a lot of work. still so, i mean well, if you think about it in all honesty though 2d still has a very important part to play well it I does mean, it does 2d is not it does play. no it's but, not but, and i mean in terms of AutoCAD workflows, and we talk about BIM, we talk about SIM, really, you know, again, taking another drink, we're, we're trying to bridge that gap between those different, you know, capabilities, those different workflows, and, and those companies that can, I'm going to take a yeah. drink here real quick, because I didn't. Oh, you're fine. Uh, but uh, the companies that can provide that data. Now, you still have big companies who are you know, maybe they're I, they're they're doing things in in Revit, but they're detailing in AutoCAD. They still. I, what's I, up? I, I just want to say I didn't want to pick on the big guys. I didn't want to say you know the big guys. I just have a, a specific uh, customer, or not even our customer. I just have a specific, specific uh, large, uh, uh, um, you know, firm in mind that I know is hampering their handover process, and I know of a smaller. I don't want to call them mom and pop because they're a good sized firm, but they're local. They're, you know, they're a one office type firm mm-hmm. that loves to do everything in 3D. Uh, shout out to my peeps in Cincinnati. Um, they love to do everything in 3D, man. Like they're, uh, yep. they know who they are. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're, they're going above and beyond and really uh, showcasing um, their talent in this and, and going above and beyond for, for their clients and, and all the people they work with. So like just knowing these two different people, I didn't want to, you know, say all the big guys are doing this wrong and all the small guys are doing right because obviously the big guys got to be the big guys for a reason. Yeah. But but anyways, this was setting up my second question and I interrupted you. So go ahead, finish your thought and I'll get to my question. then. Well, I was just thinking that um, in, in general, whether they are, you know, smaller or they are larger, like uh, we have some different people that focus in different workflows, like specific specific you know you have uh, woodworking you have a lot of um kind of specified portions of our industry that are you know they fall under a specific discipline but again they're specialized and a lot of times you'll find they have cad files or things like that that they typically send out in terms of casework detailing or what have you um that and 
what I'm finding is a lot of people are struggling like, okay, well, where do we fall into the BIM process? How do we, how do we enable our, our partners that we're working that are use, using Revit or using, you know, Civil 3D, using InfoWorks, whatever it is, how do we supplement what they're doing? Well, in that, in my mind, again, is storing it. Like you, you use a common data environment, you use an FTP site, right? But this should be the new drinking metric, by the way, is anytime somebody says common data environment, single yep. source of CDE. Truth. Yep, 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 yep. That's another one, dude. Um, but in all reality, like for me, BIM 360 and, and the construction cloud, but whatever it is that you're using out there, like it, it, to me, it, it seems like, you know, utilizing through, of course, the desktop connector, that it, it is almost like an FTP site or a shared drive that you can essentially um, allow many different users to share information without even needing a like a license to it. If yeah. they are just utilizing, you know, AutoCAD and they want to just share documents up there and, and be a part of the collaboration coordination process so we can link those, you know, into Revit, we can insert them as details and, and you know, essentially repeat that detail across the, the model as we need to if it is a specified area. There's so many things that we can, workflows that we can still enable, but the, pro, the, the big thing is there is collaboration and communication. You know what I mean? That's that's the big thing. And it has to start up front. And if you can, if you know what you do and you are willing to at least take the steps to become a little more BIM forward, you don't have to jump into the software itself. You don't have to be fully enabled in 3D. Can you design and detail into? Yes, you can. And to be yeah. a part of that process, you need to collaborate. You need to share that data. Now, People are feeling, oh, well, my 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 data is my data. Yes, okay. You still own it, and you're storing it. Like, you send them a file, a detached file at that point. Okay, what's the difference in that sense from a detached or locked AutoCAD file from putting it up on, on the cloud and, and setting the permissions to view only or something like that? Yes, you can allow someone to download it, but at the same time, you're giving them the capability when you send that to them. Um, so... At the same point there, I'm not seeing, you know, it, it's again, it's 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 a simple process, but it is one of those BIM tools. It's a very simple step that I feel like anyone big or small can take in that sense of of, you know, joining the cloud kind of bandwagon. Right. And and changing the way that you share information with your project partners. Exactly. And I'm all about enabling the communication collaboration piece. Um, I, when I think, so what is your uh, second question, though, bro? Sorry. Before, <laughs> I, before I get to it, um, when when you think about the collaboration piece, we've always talked about like you know you know we, coordination is coordination. Why do you need to move it to the cloud? Well, you're actually adding a, a second layer to that coordination. You're adding a collaborative coordination component to that, a communicative collaboration to that. So just having the communication tools embedded. Uh, with the model for everybody to see in real time, that's that's pretty pretty huge. Oh man! So don't even get me started on that one. Like going into the Revit issues and the add-in, like the, oh the capability that we're, we're seeing gonna, with that. We're going to talk about that. Once oh, once it's full baked. Oh talk, yeah, dude, yeah, I'm going to yeah. geek out on that's, that hard. In fact, maybe that's something that we actually do as like a live webcast, and we actually show people how to do it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Man. So I'm going to geek out get, on that hard. Get a sponsor or something to, to, to go. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but so, so uh, two things before I get to my question. Uh, you said something earlier uh, about giving people tools to not uh, to not have to like, so they don't need to know full big uh, CAD to get into a program to view, flip, take dimensions, see how progress is going. Yeah. Uh, you know, ask some questions. Like they don't have to know CAD to, or get into a CAD program to do that, but they can do that in this tools. And something that I discovered early on in this and that blew my mind is engineers don't draft in a lot of firms. Um, I don't know how often you run across this, but engineers aren't drafters. It's completely the same. What I would do is I had specific. So back when I was working, I, I, I you know, started out working for a uh, architecture firm and a structural design firm and went to design build. And what I found was the mechanical engineers or structural engineers that I would reference, I would draft. And I would get everything together. I would take in a plan set to them. They would evaluate it. They'd go through, they'd redline things that they didn't see. They'd write in specs for different things the way if I detailed it a specific way. And then I would go ahead and just take whatever they gave me 
to essentially update the drawing. They would go ahead, do another review process to make sure it meets what they need. And, and you know, then we'd go ahead. So, yeah, dude, that actually follows in line with exactly with what I've seen. And honestly, dude, that going back to this other kind of common data environment and what we found is the engineers do struggle in the design application itself because they don't they don't really need the design application, right? I, I'm I'm sensing a mini series coming where we sit down with, we'll break it up into parts where we have an architect firm uh, talking about their process, working with their architectural project managers, the owners. How you know? Talk, we'll take construction from beginning to end, and where we just dive into these specific workflows. And at the end, we could put together this like timeline of processes, um, and, you know, with the loopback. And, you know, if this changes, go back to this. Like, I, yeah, the other that thing sounds I was like a say, great idea. The other thing I was going to say before we get into two, to the second question is, yes, 2D still has place. Um, wall contractors don't need the big old 3D model. They just need a, a plan set to know where they're putting, uh, uh, you know, stud track and all that, that sort of stuff. You know, just for Dude. example. That's that's why, one of the reasons why I loved uh, the plan files in BIM 360. You know, one of those things you could just throw up in there, especially from like a published set or something, throw it in there. But that's also why I like the for the field. I mean, I know I, I geek out on BIM 360, guys. That's what I know. Right. And the and the construction cloud in this sense built on plan grit. Dude. Well, and blue beam and all that. And stuff blue beam. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm geeking out on this stuff because I, I start to see how we're really building on, you know, what our weaknesses have been and how we're really enabling everybody to start kind of working together through this, you know, cloud workflows or cloud enablement, I guess, uh, environments in a way. And it, it's just, it's very awesome, man. It, it really is like being able to say, okay, I know that this contractor, let's say the wall contractor needs this layout. They need the, these certain sheets. I can just publish that, push it right into the, for the field. And then they give them access to a, you know, a subfolder or a folder therein. And it's like everybody has this information and they can access it again from that uh, common data environment. Throw those drinks up. But uh, I mean, that's really what it's all about, man. I mean, and, and, you know, we talk about BIM is more than models. It's about that information. And how do you make that information readily available to all of your project partners? That's a common data environment. Drink up. Well, so my glass is I feel like this is a good place for us to uh, uh, get to the second question and do our wrap up. So um, I can't drink anymore if you say CD. Sorry. <laughs> my, my, my whiskey's upstairs. Um, so uh, my second question was you as a consultant these days and in your previous life and, and, you know, in production, that sort of stuff. When you encountered individuals that were either more likely to share the the information in the model, the model with 3D data and all that stuff. Um, you know, what were some, what were some commonalities between them? Like, what were some telltale signs that you knew that this person was, like, you know, between the people that were giving you the data that you needed or that you do need? Um, and, you know, to add to that, um, if was there any hesitancy to give you the the 3D data, the models, all that sort of stuff, the design files in general, uh, or or, um, you know, if, if there was hesitancy, was there something that you had to, you know, bring up to, to talk them out of or talk them into to, you know, to specifically highlight to, to get you the data that you needed? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. And um, hmm. I, I, look, let me add a caveat while you're thinking. Um, I know today it's probably a little bit different because you're in the Pacific Northwest and everybody's got BIM, they'll share, you know, for the more or less, they'll share. I know there's a lot of firms that aren't sharing, and there's reasons behind that. Um, but but in your role today, usually when people want to, to seek out your help, they're seeking out your help with in mind that they're going to be sharing data. So there's a, a non-disclosure or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's that kind of what I was trying to think so, of as well. Well, so, it's, it's, it's non-disclosure, but I, I actually find out that a lot of people these days, like when I'm consulting in this position, that people, you know, if, if I can give them a, a BIM 360 Studio project to post up some data to, or, you know, if they can uh, send it to me through Dropbox or put it on BIM 360, 
they're they're willing to do that in terms of even inviting me into the BIM 360 projects oh. to you know overlook and see what's going on and advise on what they're doing and how they're doing it. That I see quite a bit. But let me let me talk back in like Indiana times. Um, it was hard. I mean, honestly, but I mean, that's back in 2013, 2014, you know, all the way up to, let's say, 2016. Um, at the tail end of 2016, I was working at a, a kind of BIM forward architecture firm. And in the sense, I was managing all of their BIM data. And it was it was interesting. Uh, we would work with a mechanical contractor who was also BIM forward. And it was easier, in all honesty, to work with them because they would send us their, their Revit models back and that they worked with collaboration for Revit. You know, we had our central models, things like that. And, and we could essentially send them out, like email a Revit link and they could link it in, you know, th same kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, that was few and far between from, you know, even, even the, the, the survey data that I would get. Um, a lot of it would be kind of stripped out. Limited survey data. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, honestly, oh, there's man. a lot. And, you know, you'd have to call the survey. You'd have to make a good relationship with that company and, you know, really try to communicate what your expectations are versus what they're, they're allowing the data, you know, the data that you need to get. And um, I found out that it was difficult, you know, to get people to hand over some some data until you're bringing up like if you're talking, if you can kind of understand where they're coming from and say, OK, that's fine. This is exactly why yeah. I need this data. Nobody's out to get you unless you no. just are completely a horrible person, but nobody's out to yeah. get you. They want to help you. They just have to CYA personally. So uh, exactly. That makes it, sense. Yeah. If you can make the case right at that point as to why it impacts the project and how, yes. And, and I mean, that's a lot of different, that affects us in a lot of different ways, right? We talk about business cases quite a bit. If you can make a business case in, in that sense and, and approach it from that sense of, of knowing that everybody wants to get this done, everybody wants to help each other. But as Joey said, it's CYA, you know, and I feel Let's, like you've had your fair share of writing business cases. Oh, days. dude. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Sorry, that's a behind-the-scenes joke. But, but yeah, yeah, I got that. But um, no, man, I mean, it, it is hard and it can be, especially in the Midwest or some places that are not as BIM forward. Now, and also kind of sidebarring that with another sense of this, uh, if you're working in a BIM forward environment, you're utilizing BIM 360 and you find that there's a contractor who does not utilize it. OK, that's that's fine. In that sense, it's still not that bad to work with them, receive the files, you know, do the same kind of workflow. Now, um, if it does, of course, make it easier it, and we all know it can make it easier. Hey, um, do you have any Autodesk products? You know, do you have, uh, okay, no, well, here's the desktop connector. We can actually, you know, download and, and utilize for free and we can store, uh, you know, well, if granted access to the project and things like that, we could store data here yeah. utilizing the share drive. And in that sense, you're just enabling them to store data in your environment, which again, starts the conversation of okay well, but what about licenses and how much about this man i i encourage all of you to really look into you know what you can utilize with what you have especially with that desktop connector you know and how to store data and if that's that's what it is that's what it is right but again you're enabling that kind of that one step forward that there, enabling that that storage of data where you can enable it in your common data environment where you can link it in and things like that so you and i we 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 evangelize what we know so we know autodesk we know bluebeam you know i hear a lot of great things about sintu and some other cool tools out there we just we want to talk to them we want to know more about them we just yeah don't i just don't them. know enough about it so, yeah and so, so if you can generalize it in any way and think about like your FTP site or your yeah. whatever it is that you're using, that common data environment, that's the big step. And enabling people to, you know, share into that common data environment in a controlled sense. Yep. And and so getting to that point, uh, use what you have. So for those of you guys that don't know, AEC Collections actually comes with docs, which is a common data environment, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you have Bluebeam review on your computer and you use it for PDFs, guess what? Studio. There's a collaborative uh, tool in there for storing files, the glorified FTP site. 
with markup capabilities and collaboration yep. and communication. And if you're curious aspects, about awesome. how to how to store that, I mean, it, it's an, it essentially kind of going back to a cache. Yeah. But if you're if you're curious about how to like store that into your Windows Explorer, how to kind of reference that, they are working on connections there. But um, I, I'd say you know, can't reach out, Joey, and I can help walk yeah, you through some of that. Yeah, we've got some cool stuff, and we're suckers for Map Drive, so we use. Map oh Drive. yeah, dude. oh yeah. The, Yo, uh, hey. Hey, by the way, I I know I don't want to hijack this or anything, but uh, another thing I thought of, I got excited about. I saw the email that came out from Bluebeam announcing Rover. And yeah, yeah, it's available as a trial yeah. for people with 25 seats or more. They get one project, and we're working on getting us some more access here. So stay yeah, tuned. Yeah, dude. I'm yeah, dude. I'm excited for that. I'm I really want to put out a podcast talking about what that is and and what it offers us. And it looked to me like they kind of combined Project Atlas into what is called Rover now. And I was very excited for that. So uh, definitely more to come from that. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm excited, man. Uh, so in, in today's episode, we didn't really get to the meat and potatoes of it, other than we know that we're going to have to have further conversations. And we know it's an issue and we want to talk about it more. We want to get people together. And we know we can't solve this without industry input from all parties. Yeah, so jump on. Want, please reach out to us. If Perfect you wanna, point. Yeah, if you want to chat about this, I will uh, include a link um, in, in the website as well as the post for this so that you guys can drop us a line. Um, and, and whether you want to be on a, you know, recorded on an episode or not, uh, or you just have some insights you want to share, let us know. We actually want to talk about this. We want to fix, um, you know, we're not saviors here. We're not going to be able to fix everything. But, nah. uh uh, you know, David is a BIM, BIM superhero. We're going to get things brewing. So, so that's what we do. We're going to try. <laughs> that's it. We're going to get it brewing, man. Uh, uh, you know, get it percolate and get brewing, um, get things in motion because we want to have these conversations. There's no, a lot of people in the industry are, are starting to have these conversations, especially now that we're all connected. COVID kind of forced us into this environment, right, At least a lot faster than we normally would have. So, you know, hidden blessings in disguise there, but, uh, um, I, I think that this is going to be something that we're going to be talking about uh, five years from now still, but maybe not as uh, grand of a scheme as it is today. Yep. Well, with that, David, I will uh, you know, bid you adieu. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Uh, stay tuned for the giveaway next week and our topic next week. Um, and as always, uh, keep drinking. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay thirsty, my friends.